I'm Aaron Titus. It's May 22nd, 2007, and this is the Privacy Podcast, show 14. And it's good to be back now the finals are over. I wanted to start with a few updates. First, I've been invited to host the podcast of the Liberty Coalition, Free Space, in the next few weeks, and I'd invite you to check it out. Second, a follow-up on my report on social security numbers and academic transcripts. The Privacy Rights Clearinghouse, privacyrights.org, and pogowasright.org published the results of my January 2000 survey on the subject. Also, as a result of my research, George Washington University has agreed to change the transcript and social security number policies. Third, since I published my last podcast, Enemy of the State, several people have come forward and shared frightening stories of their own, which I may recount in the future. I have written to the Department of Homeland Security's Office of General Counsel, the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs, the Senate Appropriations Subcommittee on Homeland Security, and the House Committee on Homeland Security. Neither DHS, a single representative, nor senator has yet replied to my letter. Fourth, my recent report on the Medical Information Bureau, or MIB, piqued the interest of the MIB's Vice President, General Counsel, who contacted me directly. He asserted that they do have a data retention schedule, but that the policy was proprietary and confidential, and may vary based on a number of statutory and subjective factors. Citing another unpublished proprietary document, he also promised that MIB does not share any information collected over the phone with insurance companies. And finally, I've got a new blog at AaronTitus.net slash blog. Anyway, even though I haven't been podcasting, I wanted to let you know that I've still been busy. Well, I've been writing and podcasting about privacy for some time now. I wanted to take a moment and paint a picture of privacy and try to define it. Believe it or not, it's surprisingly difficult to do. United States law recognizes two strands of privacy. The first is decisional privacy, or independence in making certain types of important decisions. It's the right of privacy people talk about in reference to the landmark Supreme Court cases Roe v. Wade, Griswold, and Lawrence. Now, I don't cover decisional privacy in this podcast. The second strand of privacy is informational privacy, which is the right to avoid disclosing information about personal matters. It's the way that most of us use the word privacy. This podcast focuses exclusively on informational privacy. So, why do we need privacy? I mean, isn't it just a form of dishonesty? It seems that the very things people want to hide are often the very things others should know about. Or in other words, why do you need privacy if you have nothing to hide? I want to start by answering that question famously attributed to the McCarthy era. Do I have anything to hide? Well, absolutely, I have everything to hide. The fact is when people say, I have nothing to hide, it's usually not true. What they really mean is, I have nothing to be ashamed of, which may be true. But being ashamed of personal information is only one limited reason for maintaining confidentiality. Having something to hide is not an admission of some sort of guilt. I have much to hide for one simple reason. I cannot trust people to act reasonably or responsibly when they are in possession of certain facts about me, even if I am not ashamed of those facts. For example, I can't trust would-be criminal identity thieves to keep my personal information safe, Duh, so I need privacy. I need to control how my personal information is disseminated. I'm not hiding my social security number because I'm ashamed of it. Studies have shown that cancer patients lose their jobs at five times the rate of other employees. 
and employers tend to overestimate cancer patients' fatigue. These are irrational decisions by the employers, and cancer patients may need privacy. They may need to keep their medical status private in order to maintain their job. Are cancer victims ashamed of their status? Of course not. A person may share intimate secrets with an ecclesiastical leader that they would not share with parents because they fear parents may not act reasonably or rationally when presented with the same information. That person needs privacy. During World War II, the government acted unreasonably with census data about the location of Japanese-American citizens. We all need privacy from government actors. In addition, can you imagine how much damage would be done to innocent people if you spoke every thought that came into your head? Or if doctors, lawyers, and accountants disclosed everything they knew about you? Well, of course, this is just a small list of examples, but here's the bottom line. The need for privacy is the recognition that most individuals, organizations, or institutions cannot be trusted to act reasonably, responsibly, in the best interest of the person, or in the best interest of society, when in possession of certain types of personal information. Humans are biased. We have limited cognitive and analytical abilities. We can never know or process all of the relevant facts. We are infamously poor judges of character, and we change our minds and come to conflicting conclusions. So, we need privacy to protect us from ourselves. So the next time someone asks whether you have something to hide, don't hesitate to say, yes, of course I do. Now, as with all cultural attitudes, notions of privacy shift over time. This is a strength, because advances in privacy may find themselves permanently enshrined in constitutional law. For example, at the founding of the United States, mail was not protected under the Fourth Amendment. In his Harvard Law Review article, Conceptualizing Privacy, Daniel Solov explained, quote, Thomas Jefferson, Alexander Hamilton, and George Washington decried the lack of privacy in their letters and would sometimes even write in code. It wasn't until 1877 that the Supreme Court reversed constitutional law and found a Fourth Amendment right of privacy in mailed letters. Another example of shifting cultural priorities is the architectural introduction of hallways in the 18th century. The ability to walk into a room without crossing through another room radically changed Western cultural notions of privacy that we take for granted today. However, tying legal standards to community notions of privacy, or what a reasonable person would expect, can also lead to erosion of those rights, especially in times like today when new technologies challenge traditional notions of privacy and neither the law nor the public discussion have kept pace with the changes. And now, to complicate matters even further, our own individual notions of privacy change over time. For example, a personal diary is a very private matter. But the diary you wrote when you were 11 years old may not seem as private now as it did when you wrote it. So, how do you define privacy? Let me know, privacy at erintitus.net. Several thinkers have defined privacy in different ways. In my opinion, some of these definitions are too narrow and some too broad. Some were unworkable and most should not be considered mutually exclusive. In his 1967 book, Privacy and Freedom, Alan Weston says, Privacy is the claim of individuals, groups, or institutions to determine for themselves when, how, and to what extent information about them is communicated to others. Now, especially in this era of data breaches, unprecedented data mining, and identity insecurity, 
I subscribe to this definition. He outlines four states of privacy, solitude, confidential relationships, anonymity, and reserve, which he describes as a reciprocal social distance between you and others. Ruth Gavison defines privacy as limiting access to the self, in the forms of secrecy, anonymity, or solitude. The question remains, of course, to what extent people should be allowed to limit access to themselves. Who should decide how much access is granted? The person or society? Samuel Warren and Louis Brandeis wrote a watershed article for the Harvard Law Review called The Right to Privacy. In it, they described privacy as a side effect of the right to be left alone. They specifically reject any notion that privacy is a property right. Julian S. and Jeffrey Rosen say that intimacy is the common denominator of concepts of privacy, while Ryman, Bren, Cohen, and Schwartz all conceptualize privacy as a fundamental human right, necessary to protect the individual's interest in personhood or their individuality and dignity. Some say privacy can be bartered, sold, and contracted like property. On the other hand, some, including Judge Richard Posner, discount privacy as plain secrecy and a form of dishonesty. Now before I go, I want to leave you with the concept of privacy and this episode's privacy tip. Open up your favorite search engine. Now do the following image search. George Surratt, La Parade. Now, I know I slaughtered it a little bit, but I did that on purpose for clarity's sake. George is spelled with an S, and Surat is spelled S-E-U-R-A-T. This is the single best visualization of privacy I've ever seen. On the right side of the painting, you will see a man in profile. Some of those image searches should give you a close-up view of the man. Instead of seeing a person up close, you will see a complicated series of blue, orange, pink, red, black, and yellow dots that together create the man's profile. Well, consider each one of those dots a single piece of information. Perhaps one is your address, your middle name, your pet's name, or your favorite color. Perhaps some represents family, and others represent your friends or church. Some represent your travel, magazine subscriptions, and purchase habits. Still others are your intimate thoughts. Altogether, they form your profile, a pretty good but not 100% accurate representation of who you are. And this profile is exactly what data brokers, government actors, and marketers, among others, are trying to determine. So, do what you can to shape your profile, and determine who has access to your profile, and what parts. Decide for yourself whether you claim the right to be let alone. And remember, just because you have something to hide does not mean you have anything to be ashamed of. I really appreciate listener feedback. Leave a note online, aarontitus.net slash privacy, or privacy at aarontitus.net. You can access this podcast at aarontitus.net slash privacy, or on iTunes. Music today was 5-1A, Electric Guitar, by Plastic Soul, online at podsafemusicnetwork.com. Sort of live and sleep-deprived from my closet, I'm Aaron Titus. <laughs>